Hi, everyone, and welcome to On Trial, the podcast where we explore how to build your practice, trial tactics, and what can make and break your case. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Heimlich. I'm John Risvold. And today, John did the heavy lifting with the interview uh, with a renowned trial consultant who has a really interesting perspective on you know how to get juries to listen to your story and then ultimately do justice for your client. John, tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys talked about. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to sit down with Jesse Wilson, who is a tremendous trial consultant. He also works with Trial Lawyers College and does some of the mask work. So if you've ever been to a Trial Lawyers College course, uh, the mask course, he teaches that. Um, But he talked to me a lot about how to reframe our clients' cases and our clients' damages. So a lot of what I was taught was, you know, the old harms and law model, lay out what's been taken from your client and what the harm to your client are and what, what losses exist, and then sort of vilify a defendant, right? Frame it in a way where the defendant is the bad guy and you want to hate the defendant. And those are all fine and good methods. But what he talked to me about today uh, in this interview was um, you know, why we like the stories that we like. And he said, really, the stories that we love are stories of the victor, the, the underdog overcoming the odds and overcoming you know, everything they need to overcome to get to their ultimate goal. And he talked about, you know, think about your favorite movie. Um, and the one that sticks out to me is uh, Rudy. So you, you root for Rudy in that movie because he's five foot nothing, a hundred nothing pounds. And he somehow, you know, makes it onto the field at Notre Dame. Like it's an, it's a really inspiring story. It's a true story, but it's also a story of a complete underdog who had no shot. And so if we start thinking of our client's damages in a way that, that yeah, uh, this individual's life was you know totally changed. She's a quadriplegic, but she makes it a point to visit her daughter uh, every week. You know, I think of the story of a woman who had tremendous foot pain um, and it would it would hurt her to stand for any length of time. But every time her daughter would come home from college, she would bake cookies. She'd have to be up on her feet for eight hours a day to do that. And when she was asked why, she said, well, I'll be damned if I can't make cookies for my daughter. That's the story of a victor. And it's just a really interesting way to look at our client's damages and our client's stories and really convey them effectively to a jury. I think that's a really important and interesting point. I know that when I'm talking with clients or clients' family members in particular about you know, how to explain what's happened to the injured person since the accident. You're, you're not only looking to harms and losses, but it's very important. And juries want, and juries want to hear this. They want to hear what steps they're taking to overcome the limitations that have been imposed by them, by the wrongful conduct of the defendant. Just like you said, you know, there may be modifications. There may be limitations. They may do something. And the next morning be like, you know, they'll pay the price for it the next day, but they want to hear that story of, you know, I, there's been a setback, but you know, they're putting in the work, they're making efforts and they're trying to live their life, you know, in spite of these, you know, unnecessary limitations that have been inflicted on them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's really important still to highlight what the defendant has done wrong, because that's sort of the crux of our case. And to make sure that we highlight, these are the rules and this is how they broke them. And this is how they had a disregard for safety of others. But when you look at your client, people want to help people that they know and they like. These are human beings. And the jury doesn't know our clients. They don't know who they are as actual human beings. And so he and I talked a lot about how it's really important to get to know your clients and get to know their circumstances and know them as people so that we can actually tell their stories. And if a jury understands them as people, they're going to actually want to help them. Juries don't feel sympathetic for people that are coming into court looking for money for damages. And we don't want to try to win on sympathy. We'd rather win on the merits. And it's because the jury can actually understand who our clients are and what has changed for them and what they've had to overcome. It's really, really an enlightening conversation. Right. No, I think that's that's extremely important. But I, I will say that it is extremely important. I just I saw this in person a couple of weeks ago. I had the opportunity to see a closing argument in, in a very big case that I happened to work on at my old firm uh, that was going to trial. And it was being tried by, by a really great trial lawyer from Chicago. And his closing argument was almost exclusively, I mean, obviously you talked about the damages and everything that happened to him. But in this case, it was a the, the person to end up becoming an incomplete quadriplegic. So it was pretty self-evident 
uh, the unbelievable change in his life circumstance. But one of the arguments that I thought was the most compelling was just he he kept he kept going back to the conduct of the defendant, and then in this case, the cover up, the the things that they did to obscure what actually happened. And I I could I was watching the jury as much as I was watching the attorney, and the 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 response was apparent. It was clear that this was resonating with them. That not only did they do this to this poor guy, you know, they did everything they could to get out of it. And I feel like that's a story that people can really relate to, you know, being kicked, being put down, being overlooked, you know, feeling like, you know, they're up against the whole world. And I think that's really the kind of uh, the frame that, you know, is a very effective one for us. And I think that that Jesse Wilson, I think, would agree with that's something that we should be trying to do with our cases. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, every good story has a victor and a villain. Right. And. Uh, the defense in all of our cases is the de facto villain. If they've actually done something villainous, very villainous, like covering up something as horrendous as creating a, a situation where someone becomes a, an incomplete quad, absolutely expose the villain, right? And that's a part of the, the victor story, in my opinion, is you're giving that client an opportunity to overcome these odds in court with the jury. And so they become before the jury's eyes, sort of the victor in their own story as you're, you know, creating the villain as well. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So without, without further ado, let's get to the conversation uh, that John had with Jesse Wilson. So Jesse, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's really awesome to have you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, John. It's good to see you, man. And congratulations on your newborn baby girl, boy. Boy, boy, boy. Theodore. Yeah, thank you very much. Theodore, that's awesome, man. So my background, uh, born and raised in Hollywood, California, uh, was uh, pretty much spent, I don't know, maybe the first 20 years of my life as a total theater geek. If you would have told me that I would have ended up working with lawyers, I'd be out of here. <laughs> You're out of your mind. Uh, but that's my background. Um, I was uh, raised in a theatrical family. Mom is a writer, um, and my dad is a director, stage director initially, and then commercial director in film. And so it rubbed off on my brother and I. And um, yeah, I caught the acting bug at a very early age. And at 18, I went off to uh, New York City to the Juilliard School, which I'm very proud of. Kicked my butt. It was like theater boot camp, but um, it, it certainly gave me the foundation for everything that I do with lawyers. And uh, and then my life um, changed. I don't know how else best to say it. I was at a crossroad and went this way, became a teacher uh, and um, started working with at-risk kids and merging theater arts to find a way of reaching them. The game-changing moment for me as um, as a teacher, as an artist, uh, both personally, professionally, creatively, you name it, was when I began to uh, work with inmates. And I had a theater behind bars program that, that literally changed my life because I saw how powerful the tools of the theater really are in the hands of people who could care less about acting. And, um, and that's when I stepped away really as the student and going, wow, this is uh, more powerful than I even realized. And that's what really formed the basis for my company, Tell the Winning Story. So that's it. I've gotten really good at giving the skinny version of, of how I ended up here. But that's that's my background, and that's how I ended up becoming a jury trial consultant. That's fantastic. I love it. It's it's such a cool story, especially working with at-risk youth and then working with folks that, like you said, could care less and having them so engaged. It's just incredible. Yeah. Well, it better be a good story because if I'm going to teach people how to tell great stories, i got to have something good to back it up, right? <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and so that kind of leads me to my next point. You know, great jury consultants like yourself. I know David Ball has a theater background. It seems to be sort of a ubiquitous thing. Yeah. Um, how does that help you tell a good story? Having a, a theater background in yeah. theater, well, yeah, you mentioned David Ball and Josh Carton. Um, you know, there's 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 so many people out there that that I admire that open up the door for me that have that theater background. And I think a common misconception with with theater and how it makes you an effective storyteller um, is really comes down to what what is it? What is the essence of theater? 
And for many people, I think the misconception is really the surface story of theater, which is that it's, um, you know, how to present yourself, which is an important thing, and uh, blocking and staging and being on. And a lot of people have actually more of a negative association with theater when it comes to storytelling and advocacy, because you'll hear from a lot of people, look, I didn't go to acting school. I'm not an actor. And then eventually you'll hear this. I'm not an emotional person. And so a lot of people think that theater is about making you more emotional. Uh, Certainly, it can do all that stuff on a cosmetic level. But what theater really does and why this is key for storytelling, the heart of theater is about emotional connection. Great storytelling is about emotional connection. So there's two stories that you're always telling. There's the surface story and then there's the beneath the surface story. Most of us have got the cart before the horse. And what do I mean by that is, well, just give me the words, give me the script, Give me the good sequencing. Give me, you know, all the stuff that's on the surface of the story. And hopefully the jurors or the audience, whoever that audience happens to be, will end up being moved by um, the story. And for me, the target is the exact opposite. It is what is beneath the surface. And that is that is the emotional state or what we want to do as storytellers is learn how to manage our emotional state, state management. That is, those are the core fundamental emotions, anger, disgust, joy, fear, and sadness. All of those are at the heart of of a great story. And what theater does is allows you to tap into, or what, you know, if you're studying with a good theater person, what they'll be able to do is to allow you to, to tap into that beneath the surface core emotion. Once you tap into that, then everything on the surface becomes a thousand times more compelling. So. That's what theater does. It gets you in touch with the core emotions that are within all of us. And then once you're able to tap into that, those become the universals, uh, the universal connection between you and your audience. And that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's a lot of what I recall, you know, hearing and reading from Jerry Spence and people like that about being your genuine self and you know, actually feeling and embracing your emotions, not being afraid of fear, but using it, those sorts of things. That's um, right. That's absolutely right. That's it. That's exactly right. And so it's very core, like those core emotions, that's what makes up a really good story. But where do we start? Like, yeah. you know, there's so many stories going on in our clients' cases, whether it be their, you know, in my case, I do a lot of personal injury work. So, in their, you know, their injury, their recovery, but also there's the story of the company that was negligent, the story of the underpaid worker who didn't bother to care. So he's texting and driving while he's driving a semi-truck, those sorts of things, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Where do where do you like to begin as you're structuring a story so that it actually is taking something that could be kind of bland for some people and, and making it entertaining? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great question. Where do we begin? I mean, there's there's the story of the defense, there's the juror's story, there's the client's story. What, what's what's going on? So for me, go to the movies. I try to keep it really, really simple. And go to the movies, go to the plays, go to the what what is it we all love? And for me, the 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 uh the, the go-to is always, uh, and this is really the foundation of everything that I teach, is, is telling the Victor story. And when we go to the movies that we love, um, it, it's, it's really simple. If you want to see a great movie, the thing that makes a great movie a great movie, you know, beyond, you could say, well, sure, a great soundtrack or... You know, you've got a star in there, uh, high budget. All that stuff doesn't mean anything because ultimately what it what makes a great movie a great movie is about character. And what is it that we love about characters? We love characters who don't give up. This is the victor story. This is the underdog story. And make that decision first and foremost. I, me, the lawyer, I'm going to tell the Victor story about my client, period, dot, full stop, start there. And then the rest is, I'm not going to say easy, it's easier because you've made a decision. You are portraying your client as the victor, never the victim. And if you start there, that is a game changer. I will tell you, most lawyers tell the opposite. Most lawyers that I see will tell the victim story. It's pretty obvious because they're victims, right? 
If they're victims, I got to tell a story about a victim. But they're not victims. Your job is to cast them in the right role. So who are they? They're always the victor and they're never the victim. So if you start there, that what that does, and it's a whole counterintuitive thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely counterintuitive and that's why it works. If you want to raise your damage model, portray your client, tell the story of your client as the victor because the psychology, the, 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 the message is, despite all that has been taken from my client, look at what they're doing. And if you show the try story rather than the can't story, then it's what Mo Levine, one of my heroes, says, you know, it's not what they took, it's what they left behind. Okay, so that is that right there. That's where you want to start. It's great stories are about characters and then go to the movies. The funny thing is, is that, you know, if you ask and I mean, it's it's I don't mean to laugh, but it is comical to me because it's just it is it is about conditioning. And so much of this work that we do as storytellers is about unlearning rather than learning. That's that's what the tools of the theater can can do for you. But but the 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 funny thing is, is that if you ask, you know, if I were to ask, um, you know, so I'll ask the question to so many lawyers and not just lawyers, but everybody. But since we're here talking about storytelling in the legal arena, I'll ask lawyers, why do we love the underdog story? We love the underdog story. And you'll always hear the different kind of answers. But usually it comes down to the one answer, which is we love stories about characters who don't give up. Why does the underdog story work? Because it and then you'll hear because it's you know, it's it's my story. It's our story. It's 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 when I see. Rudy up there on the playing field or Rocky Balboa or million dollar baby, right? right? The list goes on and on and on. You know, we don't see them. We see ourselves. It's a mirror for who we are. So we all love that, right? We all agree with that. And ask any lawyer, why does he, no, you'll never hear from a lawyer. Well, the underdog story doesn't work. And I just don't subscribe to it. We all love the underdog story move. That's what, and yet in the courtroom, we're not telling that story. Why? Right. It's scary. It's a little bit, it's a little bit scary. Part of it too is I feel like we've been taught and conditioned to tell the harms and losses story. Yeah. And I like the harms and losses story and that's fine, but what you're describing is engaging and captivating and a juror can see themselves in it. And so I'm curious, how yeah. do we go from my client had this devastating injury and it tore their life apart and it's so sad and, you know, I don't want to get sympathy, but you should sympathize with my client sort of thing to my client overcame this incredible, you know, devastation that was thrust into his life. How do we reframe our case? Well, it, and it, it, I want to be clear. It's not, it, it's not necessarily where you're, I mean, now if you've got a story that does show how they've overcome that, that's great. But more often than not, it's the attempt at trying to overcome. And that could simply mean I'm going to highlight a scene of them trying to get out of bed in the morning. I'm going to highlight a scene of them getting back into the metaphorical ring. That is the try story. That is a try story. I mean, if you've got a guy with a brain injury, he ain't ever going to overcome that. That's never going to happen. If you've got a woman who's whose children have been taken from her uh, in a wrongful death um, and everything in her life, her purpose, the thing that gave her her greatest why was her kids. She ain't ever going to come overcome that loss. Right. right. But what she is going to be able to do, what you want to be able to show is that despite all of this, I'm still able to be present for, you know, let's say she's a school teacher. And when I put the mask on, I'll, I'll, I'll put the grief aside and I'll, and I'll put the pain and I'll put the anger and I'll put all the stuff that makes up your damage model aside. But when I put that mask on and I enter the classroom, I'm all about the kids. And some people, these are my damage witnesses will say that teacher uh, who has, was the mother of the two dead boys who were killed uh, on this horrific day of that changed everything in her life will say some days that mask can barely, barely be put on. And, 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 and I don't know how she's able to get the strength to be able to, to be present with her kids. And yet somehow she's able to do that. How do we feel about what's been taken from her a thousand times more through the try story, as opposed to highlighting, she can't, she cries, she can't do this. She can't. Now they're going to hear about all that stuff. Yeah. But I'm going to feel the full weight of the damages when I see that she's barely able to put that mask on and be present for her kids. That's the try story. So what I'm always looking for when 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 a client calls me up to have me work with, 
on witness prep or, you know, getting ready for deposition prep or whatever that is. When I first ask, okay, tell me the story about your client. I'll hear the can't, 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 can't. Okay, okay, that's important. I get it. Can't, 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 can't. Just give me one moment. Just give me one moment. Give me one moment of the try story. So she's she's able to walk across the street a little bit, but she can't. Ah, stop. Go back. She's able to walk across the street just a little bit. Because we heard before that she was a marathon runner and she would loop around the neighborhood endlessly. But that one day, she, after her injury, after she got T-bone in this horrific car crash, she was able to walk across the street a little bit before she came back home. That's your entire case. I love it. I really do. It's, it's incredible. I'm, you can see from my face, I'm captivated. It's also evoking all of those emotions all at once. It really yes. is bringing all of them together. Yes. Because I'm a little bit angry, I'm a little bit sad, I'm a yes. little excited, you know, yes. all of them together. The um, victim to victor approach, it is, it is, um, it's everything that you want to accomplish with the golden rule without ever saying the golden rule. It is a thousand times more powerful. This is how you get through the golden rule. You know why? Because if you tell the victor story and really commit to it, as much as you want me, your juror, to care about your client, I'm not thinking about your client. I'm thinking about me and mine because your client is now a mirror to me and mine and who I want to be. God forbid if this should ever happen to me. That's what's going on. Your, 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 your jurors are only thinking about themselves, right? Ultimately, at the end of the case, they are going to think maybe a little bit more than your client. Hell, they may even fall in love with your client, but ultimately, they're thinking about me and mine. That's a good thing. Don't try to take them away from that. And nothing is going to inspire them more about me and mine than if you tell the victor story. Now, it doesn't just end there. Okay, you've made a decision to tell the victor story. Good for you. But here's what I see. Here's the missing piece. You cannot. This is where it does get scary. And, I'm, you know, it's easy for me to say, but but this is why it is. This this is scary. The missing piece to telling the victim to victor story or the victor story, John, is is not just the commitment to tell the victor story. It's this. It's telling the story with joy. God forbid you should bring joy into the courtroom. It is the scariest thing in the world to feel joy because, wait a minute, I'm here to talk about their bad conduct. I'm here to talk about what's been taken from my client. They're never the same again. How in the hell am I supposed to feel joy? Yeah. How? How am I, how am I supposed to do that, right? Well, because at one point in their life, your client did have joy. And you're also, you, the lawyer, are standing in witness to the greatest and bravest act in the world of them having the strength to be able to overcome or try to overcome what has been taken from them. That is a feeling of awe. The feeling of awe. What is beneath the feeling of awe is joy, right? If I'm talking about a woman who is finding the strength to become a teacher again, I keep leaning on this example because this is a case I'm working on, who is finding the strength to become present again, to become a teacher again, to put on the mask despite what has been taken from her. I should feel joy in telling this story despite the fact that it makes me angry, despite the fact that it makes me, you know, it makes me sad. And these are all feelings that are natural and true for you, the lawyer, because you love your client. But don't fall into the victim trap yourself, right? When you're telling the story of strength, that is a feeling of awe, and that should be joy. And, you know, we celebrate the lives of people who are no longer here through stories of joy. We celebrate the, 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 the lives of people who have everything taken from them, and yet they're able to have that one tiny moment of victory. That is a joyful act, and you have to commit to that. Why is that important? Because joy pulls your audience in. Pain, this is why David Ball is 100% correct. Sympathy is completely outside the box. It yeah. doesn't do anything. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't move the needle forward. It doesn't ignite your listener. But joy, once again, makes me think of me and mine. It's interesting. It's, yeah. it's, it makes me think of the difference between a funeral and a wake. The funeral yes. is a somber event. Yes. The wake is we're all telling stories and we're all reminiscing. And it's a, it's joyous. It's a joyful act, despite the fact that that person is no longer here. Despite that empty chair, yeah. we're going to talk about stories of joy. They're so super powerful. powerful. And again, 
if we're talking about damages, your damage model goes through the roof because despite all this, look at what we're able to do. We're able to sit around and we're able to laugh about the person who's no longer here. That's, That's powerful a, as hell. Yeah, that really is. It's awesome. The other thing that you said that I just, a light bulb went off for me is yeah. that awe is joy. And it explains a lot for me. Like, there is not a place that I'm happier than in front of 12 people that are strangers that are going to decide my client's case. And maybe that makes me a weirdo, but I love it. It fires me up. It makes me Good, very sure. excited. And, but I have that feeling of awe. Like I get to do this. Yeah. And so I understand completely that being able to tell our client's story like this is such a privilege and to do it in the way you're describing where we're able to convey what an incredible life they have. And yes, what was taken in the cans and everything else, but the way that you're framing it is, is really, really bringing that same sort of feeling. I think that I feel when I step into a courtroom to the Absolutely. jurors. And you gain so much more credibility through your jurors. I mean, you can literally say this words or just show it through a story, you know, show, don't tell. But the idea is the last thing in the world, ladies and gentlemen of the jury that my client would ever want to be considered as a victim. You know, don't, don't define my client by their pain. Define them by the strength of overcoming their pain because that's who they are. So you are, you know, as much as we talk about great storytelling, great storytelling is really about great directing. All right. What does a great director need to know? A great director needs to know, first and foremost, how to hell to cast their clients, how to cast their actors. I hate to say acting when it comes to the courtroom, but it is a character. And how are we going to portray them? You got to get them right, right at the very beginning, way before deposition prep, right? Because right. otherwise that, that die is cast and God knows we painfully have seen that. That's the victim trap. Get them out of that so that, so that you can both tell that story together because, because they're assuming that, well, how would they know otherwise? I'm the victim, so therefore I've got to be the victim. But that's not how you win cases. That makes sense. And you're right. It has to start right from the get-go. I'm a big proponent of getting to know my clients, who they are, spending time with them. I hear that from the most successful lawyers I've ever had the opportunity to get to know and be around. Yeah. That's all they say over and over yeah. is you can't tell the story until you know these people as people. Well, that's, um, that, that's absolutely true. But don't, you know, I mean, don't, I mean, look, God knows I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm always saying spend as much time with your client as you can. And, and I know COVID has been a disruptor in a bit of this, but it go into their house and, and become a human sponge and all that stuff. On the other hand, you know, make the decision. This is what we were talking about earlier, John, make the decision from the get go to tell their Victor story. So you could spend all the time in the world and I've seen client my clients, the lawyers do that with their clients. That's great. And yet the story they're telling the jurors is still the sad sob story. Um, because, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll hear this from, from, from lawyers and it's, it's, it's an understandable thing how this would happen is that, you know, I'll, they'll stand up and have them tell me the story of their client and I won't hear the victim story. I'll hear the sad story and I'll see the lawyer crying and weeping. What's going on? I'll say, well, I've spent so much time with them. And I feel so bad for what's been taken from them. Well, of course you do, because you love your client and you've portrayed, you're, you want to protect your client. And yet you're robbing them of who they really, really are because of your own sadness. You're projecting your own sadness and your anger upon them because you love them. But that's not who they are. So you, the director, the storyteller, have got to make sure that you're not casting them and yourself in the wrong role because of your sympathy. So there's two audiences. There's the one that's in our head, and then there's the real audience, the ones who are listening. Those are the most important people. What's the story that you want me to hear about them, right? I don't want to hear the story of your sympathy and your sadness. That's really sweet that you've spent all that time with your client and you've gotten to know them, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans to me, the listener, who needs to see this guy as a victor, period, yeah. dot, full stop, right? right. Now, so, how do we teach our clients to make that shift because it is a devastating injury. Any Anything yeah. like this that's been thrust in our lives is turning their lives upside down. How do yeah. we get them to look at themselves as, you know, it's like you talked about earlier with damages witnesses, it's very helpful yeah. to use, but just the client, him or herself, how do we get them to make that shift? Do you want to win your case or do you want to lose your case, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, perfect. So, so we could start there. I, I've had to say that on a few occasions, but no, really, I mean, honestly, 
Uh, there's many different approaches, but I, the simplest one is always the best one. Go to the movies. I ask clients, I, I, the plaintiffs or the defendants, um, what is your favorite movie? Or what is one of the fa- movies that you love? I ask them the movie question. So role play with me, John. Um, okay. you're, you're a client. And uh, you've, you're, you're, you've been badly injured and uh, put yourself in a role of somebody, man or woman, um, who's, in a, who's, who's feeling hopeless, desperate, scared. Okay. And um, um, I'm going to ask you the movie question. What's one of your favorite movies? I love Star Wars. Who doesn't, right? right. So give me, give me a, a main character, the hero in Star Wars. Luke Skywalker. About the, yeah, Luke Skywalker. Han okay. Solo, either of those two. What is, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go with Luke. All right. Okay. He's, he's devastating, right? In the beginning, his whole family's wiped out. Yeah. What is, yeah. what is Luke, what does Luke want in the movie? I think he just wants to feel a sense of purpose and a sense of that his life has meaning. Right. He wants to, he wants to run away from, you know, the farm where he's at and join something that's bigger than him and feel like he's part of something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and he's he goes through a lot of obstacles along the way to get to that place where he has meaning and purpose, right? Right. Yeah. And so let me ask you an obvious question. I have a feeling, uh, Mr. Plaintiff, that you know what you're going to tell me is that if if Luke were to get everything that he wanted in his life within the first five minutes of the movie, would you want to see the movie? No, be a pretty boring movie. Be a pretty boring movie, right? So without these obstacles, which is the lifeblood of the movie, I always say it's like Jaws without the shark, right? You okay. the shark, what, do you, what do you got? Um, you know, without these obstacles, we would have nowhere to go. So this is your story. Now, let's, let's take this, this example of Luke Skywalker and compare it to why we're here in this, in this crash, right? Um, we're here to talk about your story. You're the hero in this story, dude. And so... You know, how do we want to define Luke Skywalker? Well, do we want to define this guy by his pain? Do we want to define Luke Skywalker by by his anger? Why by by his revenge, by his oh, need yeah. for justice? How do we so tell me? You have to define him by his ability to overcome. Yeah. And that's really the whole story. That's why he's a hero, right? Yeah. Because despite all that's been taken from him. He's and not against all up. odds, too, really. I against mean, all odds, right? Yeah. So that's you. That's awesome. Right? That's you, and that's how our jurors need to see you. We're telling a movie here, but it's a real movie. It's a real story about your life, but the same idea holds true. So you get the client to understand this in terms of a movie. They don't understand that because they're the victim. And then, okay. and then assure them this is how we're going to win your case. We're here to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. The truth is the person I'm talking to today is not your pain, is not your fear, is not your anger, is not everything that's on this damage list. The person I'm talking today, and I've heard this because I've talked to your lawyer who spent a little bit of time with you before you and I got to talk to each other, Mr. Plaintiff, is that um, you've you've gone through some incredible challenges before your injury and you've gone through some enormous challenges afterwards. You're a father and you're not giving up, are you? No, you're not. Why? Because because you can't. All right. We're going to talk about that. We're going to highlight all the stuff that 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 is the story that we're telling your your jurors. All right. And we're going to highlight that because the truth of the matter is you're your strength. You're not your weakness. You're not your anger, not your pain. As much as we're going to talk about all that, that's who you are. So you communicate that to them. And there's a lot of different exercises I can tell you, but go to the movies, man. And every single client, I do it all the time. They get it. They understand it. Awesome. It's just a game changer, right? It's just a different way of thinking, but it's so, it makes so much sense. I mean, go to the movies. They're not, uh, they're not losing money. I mean, they're, they're churning out great movie after great movie. So what we love in the movies is exact is the exact same thing that fires up jurors in the courtroom. It's the exact same thing that turns, you know, winning uh, plaintiffs and defendants into, um, you know, winning, 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 uh, you know, uh, victors. Right. <laughs> not victors. Yeah. yeah. No one, no one goes to the movies to see the bad guy win. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. You said something earlier, you said it a couple of times and I did want to talk to you about it. Um, you use the phrase, put the mask on. Yeah. Tell me what you mean. 
Well, we all wear masks, right? And when it comes to when it comes to the witness, right? Pain can do two things. It can either bury you or transform you. And pain will when you're in that place. And it's easy for me to say, I've all I've had some tough times in my life, but God, thank God, knock on wood, nothing uh there's no comparison to uh you know all the cases that I work on um, from brain injuries to wrongful deaths to med mals, you name it. And so when you're working with a witness, pain will often become a mask and that mask will become a person's identity and that identity will become a belief system. I mentioned that I worked with inmates for years and I still try to as much as I can, despite COVID, uh, and working with inmates and addicts. And we'll all see that, that mask or that false self assume one a person's identity and it's a very scary thing it's an old story it's a pain story but it ain't who you are so i take the metaphor of the mask quite literally i work with masks i work that was my training a great deal of my training at juilliard i've worked with a guy named pierre lefay um who taught me about the mask work and i studied it intensely it was beyond just fascinating so freaking fun and so you know when it when we relate this to trial i'll have in a mask workshop, I'll have the lawyers put on, I have a whole list, I have a whole table of character masks. And all these masks are warped and misshapen and they're off-putting and they're tragic looking. And the temptation is to want to try to play it like that because, because of this. What is the exercise? The exercise is to be able to try to find the mask within the mask, to be able to try to find something that is uh, likable, redeemable, something, i.e. the victor story that we can tap into behind this mask. And the exercise uh, will involve the lawyer wearing this uh, misshapen thing. And I probably should have grabbed one right now, but if you go onto my website, you'll see all the different character masks in the workshops. And I'm doing this and I've done this multiple times at grad one. I'm going to be doing it again where they wear the mask and, and then make me care. And so we'll see this warped misshapen face reading um, a children's story to, you know, a little boy or a girl or singing a song or, or, you know, telling, telling, um, or doing a dance like an old misshapen woman who's able to dance again after 80 years being confined to a wheelchair. We're seeing this moment where she's able to find the freedom and the grace. And what you hear all the time from people in the, in the workshop is my God, the mask changes and the mask changes. And that wow. That's the work that you want to do with your client. Don't confuse them by this. Don't confuse them by their pain. Cast them in the right role. Find what is beneath the mask. And when you remove the mask of your client, guess who else's mask comes off? Yours. That's awesome. You yeah. talked about you talked about grad one, and I do want to talk to you a little bit about the Travelers College. I told you before we started yeah. recording, I spent just a weekend doing the Vladir uh, course, and what a life changing experience. Yeah. And I kind of juxtapose that with something you said earlier, which is you hear lawyers say often, I'm not an emotional person. How important is it from your perspective to be able to tap into and use your emotion, controlled use of your emotions? I love that question. I get excited when I hear that question because I've got a great comeback for it. So I'll hear that again. Jesse, I didn't go to Juilliard. I'm not an actor. I'm not an emotional person. My wife says I should be more emotional. My my trial team says I should be more emotional. My own clients tell me I should be emotional. And I know I should be more emotional. But guess what? You're never going to get that from me. It's like drawing blood from a turnip. I'm not emotional. I'm like, great. You don't have to be. And this is coming from the theater guy. Because if I see that you're being emotional, (laughs) I want to take my shoe and I want to throw it at your head. It's not about being emotional. So what is it about? It's about being emotionally available to very, very different things, right? The goal is not to be emotional because nobody wants, because that's can, that's dog and pony show, that's inauthentic, that's eh, right? Right. But when you're emotionally available, big is small and small is big. Some of the greatest speakers and presenters I know are on the surface, very contained. They don't move a lot. They don't gesture. They're not like me, some big freaking ham, right? They're very stoic, but yet you... If you tap into that beneath the surface story, this is what I call, you know, in my eight fundamentals, state before story, right? If you connect to the state, the emotional state before the story, we'll feel it. We'll feel it. And that's the power of human emotion. That's the power of human connection. That emotional availability 
find the right emotion for the right story, for the right scene. And now that emotion is ours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to, as we say in the theater, you don't have to give it away so cheaply, right? You see it, we see it. You feel it, we feel it. And that emotional availability is what we all need. That's the training. That's what we want to be able to access. Because if you're talking about walking into a child's room, you know, after they've been taken, if you're talking about uh, a moment of, uh, of uh, you know, between a couple before, um, before the wife, you know, had a severe brain injury uh, as a result of a med mal, um, you know, uh, mix up mess up from the doctors and you're talking about a scene of a couple on a beach together and that they were just they couldn't keep their hands off each other and they were just like you know filled you don't have to uh, do all that to connect to the emotion that is underneath there if you're feeling it and all you have to ask yourself is what is the motion what was the emotion in this scene you know behind the camera behind what we're seeing what is the dominant core emotion once you connect to that a little goes a long way and we're there and we're a hundred percent there. That's what, that's emotional availability. That's not being emotional and you don't have to do much with your hands, with your staging. You could stand perfectly still. Great theater teacher of mine said, don't just do something, stand there. You stand your ground, you see it. We see it. And that's the power of human connection. Wow. Uh, yeah. It reminds me of it just the thing that popped into my head was something that you and I talked about when we first spoke and it was, um, a Star Wars quote, I think that I said, or you said, it was, you have to unlearn what you've learned. And so much of what you're talking about being emotionally available is tossing away the TV lawyering and tossing away the stuff that jurors know is fake. And then they're very smart and they can tell that we're faking it or that we're acting and being emotionally available, like you're describing is really just tapping into your genuineness and actually feeling. And that's really powerful and interesting. Well, it, and it's the genuineness of, of, of the scene, you know, it is, you know, the, 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 the beautiful thing about human connection is that, is that you, you get to use your struggle as a lawyer, you know, you get to use your struggle as a human being, for instance, um, you know, you get to say, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, it's really hard for me to imagine there was a time in my client's life when, when they just couldn't keep their hands off their wife. It's really hard for me because I, because I can't imagine how I would feel if this happened to me. And yet, and yet they did, they couldn't keep their hands off of each other and they were on the beach together and they just, you know, he loved his wife so much. It was like every single day he felt like a seventh grader. It's so hard for me to put myself there. I can't do it, but you know what? I want you to try to imagine what that would be like. Can you imagine what that would be like to be on a beach where you couldn't keep your hands off your wife? And now all of a sudden, that emotion is no longer about you, the lawyer. It's about me. You've given it to me through your struggle. You get to you get to struggle. That's great. I say it all the time. If you if there's a struggle, don't sweep it under the rug because your struggle is our gift. Your struggle on stage is our gift. So use it. You know, of course, we want to all have authentic emotion and connection. But ultimately, what's the most important thing? You feeling it versus me feeling it. Me, your juror, your listener. The most important person in the story is me. (laughs) Where are you? The jury has to feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Um, Before I let you go, you've got a book coming out. a book. Tell me about the book. The book's going to be available at Trial Guides, right? Book is available. Through, well, not yet. Uh, book is through Trial Guides. It's going to be out. Um, uh, I want to say I wish I had a specific date because I don't. It's going to be available early fall. The reason why I don't have a date yet is because David Ball, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, waiting for him, his book to come out. But waiting on David Ball is, is an honor. So that's a good thing. Um, sure. So, yeah, the book is called Witness Preparation, How to Tell the Winning Story. It's coming out through Trial Guides. It's it's the core teaching of everything I've been talking about, everything I've learned, it's victim to victor, go through the eight fundamentals of breakthrough communication. And I've got, um, I've got about six different, um, uh, I would say a little over six, no, six, yeah, six different um, voices of some of the top attorneys across the country that I've interviewed whose voices appear in this book. But um, 
that's it, man. Witness preparation, how to tell the winning story. Awesome. I, that will be something that'll be on my bookshelf as soon as it's out, because it is right admittedly my biggest weakness is witness prep. So I'm very excited to soak up and be the sponge for everything you have to teach us about witness prep and everything that you've talked about today. Before I let you get on with your day and before you get back to helping people and helping tell stories, what's your favorite movie? One of my favorite movies, uh, it's always a cruel question to say, what is my favorite, favorite movies? Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite movies uh, is um, is a little known movie uh, that a lot of people don't know about, um, uh, is, and it's called Coming Home um, with, uh, with John Voight and Jane Fonda. This was made, I want to say, in the mid-70s. Uh, I think that was about right. Um, Waldo Salt wrote the screenplay, but it's a story of a Vietnam vet who comes home or, or tries to come home because he's not the same person any, anymore. Um, and it's a love story. And it's one of the most beautiful um, love scenes and Victor stories that I've ever seen. And I'll just give you a little, I use it, this as an example a lot, a lot of the times in, in my workshops and seminars where um, a man who's, he's, he's a quadriplegic, um, uh, makes love to, to, uh, Jane Fonda and the way they connect, um, despite the fact that he cannot perform like he used to, um, is incredibly moving. And one of the, is one of the best examples, um, of not having to say anything. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, it is, um, I don't know if I'm describing it as well as I should, but that is one of my favorite movies. I hadn't thought about that until you asked me, but that's, that's the movie that comes to mind. That's and, awesome. and, and, and I also it. love it because, because, because of, of, uh, of, of this, when it comes to making the decision to tell the Victor story, you're also making the decision uh, as a lawyer, as a storyteller, as a director to always tell a love story, mm. every trial, every trial. And I, I will go head to head and Matt, Go to the mat with anybody who says otherwise. Every trial is a love story. Awesome. Awesome. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time. If people want to get in touch with you, they want to find out how they can work with you outside of grad one or any other programs that you're running, how do they get in touch with you? Sure. Well, my email address, jesse at tellthewinningstory.com. They can go uh, on my fa on my uh, website, uh, tellthewinningstory.com. Um, also, I invite everybody to join our Facebook group. It's the subset of Tell the Winning Story, Write, Tell, Live in Story. Um, it's a great group. I don't, it's yeah. awesome. You're in that group. Yeah. I so am, I don't, yeah. yeah. So if you want to send out a link to everybody, I don't have it on, but it's, it's, that's the Facebook group, Write, Tell, Live in Story. It's a private storytelling group for attorneys. Um, come one, come all. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining us and, and for having the me. Victor story. So awesome. Thank you, man. Well, there's no greater Victor story than being a dad. So congratulations to you, buddy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Cool, man. And that's John's interview with Jesse Wilson. Again, I want to thank Jesse for coming on the podcast. I know we really appreciated his time, his insight, his experience. And I think we all learned a little something from that. What do you say, John? Yeah, absolutely. It definitely changed my perspective on how I'm going to frame the story of my cases. Absolutely. And before we wrap up today, we're going to give you our 30 second trial tips. One thing we do to make our cases stronger and our trials better. Uh, mine for this week is again, we talked about how, you know, the good ones borrow, the great ones steal. Um, I, I, I watched a, a closing argument, like I talked about earlier, in, in a catastrophic injury case uh, involving a, an incomplete quadriplegic. And he's a, he's a young man. He's still very much a young man. And, you know, he's got a lot of life ahead of him. However, you know, people in the, with those kinds of injuries tend to not live as long as the average person uh, because of various things that will almost inevitably happen to them over time. Um, but the way that the attorney phrased the argument, I really liked. And what they did is they said, listen, you know, I'm optimistic and I know my client's optimistic and we believe that he's going to put in the effort and that the medical care is going to do what it's supposed to do. And he's going to live a normal life. You know, so we have this a dollar amount allocated towards his future care needs because he's going to need those regardless. But if you're optimistic like me and like my client and you believe he's going to live to a normal life expectancy, you know, then it's going to cost a little bit more. Okay. And we also have a claim for, you know, loss of life, you know, diminished life expectancy. 
uh, if you're optimistic like me and you believe he's going to live to his normal life expectancy, you know, just put that down to zero. If you're of the mind that, you know, based on all the medical testimony, you've heard that, you know, he's going to succumb to these injuries in a way that's going to shorten his life expectancy. Sure. This is the amount we think is reasonable. But if you're optimistic like me, I don't think that's that's going to happen. I, I, I hope that's not going to happen. So, you know, add some more to the uh, the medical care for, you know, the his increased, I guess, life expectancy or normal life expectancy and, and take it off there. And I thought it was a really great way to frame that element of damages in a catastrophic case like that. Um, and it puts kind of a positive spin on it, you know, in, in a dark situation. And I thought that really was an interesting and I would, I thought to be an effective way to convey that to the jury. It also takes a lot of guts to put a zero up on the board. You have to have a lot of faith in your client. And I really, really like the framing of that argument as we're talking about framing our cases. I think that's, that's spot on. All right, John, what's yours for the week? So we're getting back to quote unquote normal and people are getting back together. And you and I were talking about this before we started, there was a big, uh, conference of trial lawyers, the Nick Rowley and Courtney Rowley put on up in big sky, Montana. And I wasn't able to go. And I'm very sad. I wasn't able to go, but I've made it, you know, my goal to get to more of those types of intensive learning experiences. I've had some opportunities with the trial lawyers college and they've been world changing. And so really I would encourage everybody to find your tribe, whether it be the rallies of the world, and I, everybody I think who listens to this knows I'm a big Nick Rally guy, and everything he does, I I try to emulate um, while also trying to be myself. But find what works for you, and get plugged in, and go, and find your people, and learn from them, and learn in groups. Because every time you make somebody else's case better, you make your own better, and a rising tide lifts all boats. So let's get back together, let's work on our cases together, and let's go get some justice together. Absolutely. Collaboration is the key to all of this, especially on our side. Uh, we, we got so many great ones uh, that are all out there sharing information. It, it really is a great thing. And uh, hopefully we're doing our small part in that. Uh, hopefully people get a lot out of this. I, I mean, I get a lot out of doing it. So, uh, Yeah, I agree. And hopefully the more I mention Nick Rowley, the more likely it is we'll get him on the podcast someday, right? <laughs> that would be a great one. That would be a great one. Until that until that day comes, uh, we're going to wrap it up. I uh, wanted to thank Jesse Wilson again. Um, and remember, you can follow us, send us comments, questions, episode ideas, or just troll us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at On Trial Podcast. You can also rate us and leave your feedback on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. And until next time, we'll see you on trial. <laughs>